truth or fiction? Facts or fiction, something like that? I think it's truth or fiction. And it is, uh, it's dedicated to um, figuring out uh, email rumors that are being kind of circulated everywhere. And uh, my wife is like the email falsification hound dog. I mean, she will find out if something is true or not, especially in regards to, you know, whether it's going to save us money or not, if it's just a lie. And, you know, the first one that I saw her just come out in her had to do with gasoline. There was an email circulating that talked about if you go to the gas station at certain times of the day, you know, you're going to get ripped off, da 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 And it had like this elaborate scheme. How many people got that email? Yeah, a few of you. A few of you, li- the rest of you liars, because you don't want to, you, you're about right, you know what I'm going to say. You've been duped. That's not true. None of those are true. That's just, that's just a lie. But they, anyway, you go to this website, and it, and it helps you sort through the facts, what things are true, and what things are not true. And I was reading some of these stories last night. There's hundreds of these emails that get circulated, and I wanted to share a few of them with you today because they're very funny. Um, you might have heard of the one about Swiffer WetJet. If you, um, you know, that it's toxic, how many of you gotten this one? The Swiffer wet jet is toxic, and if your uh, animals or pets walk on a wet floor that's been Swiffer wet jetted, they uh, will track it onto their paws. It will then um, assimilate or go into their bodies and cause liver failure. And the email goes on to explain that um, the, the, <laughs> the formula for the Swiffer wet jet is one Adam away from being antifreeze, and so that's why you know it is like this long elaborate email, and uh, and it talks about they're doing this autopsy on a dog and finding spots on the liver, and two of her cats died, but they didn't do an autopsy because they couldn't afford it, and just wanted you to be aware. <laughs> and that's how they all end. FYI, and then like there's these elaborate schemes. You know, another one is um is uh um I just want to read one to you, Jenny McCallum, forty three who has been confined to a wheelchair for much of her adult life, came to hear President uh, candidate Barack Obama speak at the University of Texas. Afterward, she found herself in a wheelchair access breezeway as Obama and his entourage exited the area. The, can- uh, the candidate spotted her, came over, grabbed her hand, and pulled her up. She found herself standing for the first time in 11 years. He smiled at me and said, Yes, you can. She says, I was so stunned, I didn't know what to do. McCallum is among hundreds of people who say they have been healed by the Democratic candidate. And one of the most surprising and little acknowledged aspects of his campaign, reporters have shied away from the story, chalking up to Obama mania and people's feelings of elation. We don't talk about it a lot, but yeah. It does happen, says one staffer who says he's seen multiple people healed on a rope line. We don't know exactly how or why it's happening, and the senator won't talk about it. He usually insists that people keep it quiet and just report it to their pastor or priest. Total lie, fiction, total fiction, total, total fiction. It's never happened, nothing. I read about it, and they, they explained like, where the story started, that it was a total hoax, a total jokes. And um, the, another one is, if you're uh, being held up at your ATM machine, if you type in your PIN numbers backwards, it alerts the police. How many of you heard that one? Total lie, 
Total, total lie. But there was some truth to it that a guy uh, has got a law passed in Illinois to where you're given two PIN numbers and banks uh, can do it individually. They can set it up so that you can do it, but it's never been set up. So if you're held up at a bank, give them all the money that they ask for and pray that they don't hurt you, okay? Um, But the funniest one is this one. The title of it was... The Arkansas woman who thought the rapture was taking place and got killed on a highway. I thought, this is going to be good. You know, the fact that this was being circulated and people believed it is just, it's just got to be funny. And now I'm not going to ask who's read this one and believed it because I know some of you sent it to me. So here we go. According to this story, an Arkansas woman is riding in the car with her husband in Arkansas City. Uh, Arkansas City, Arkansas, when she sees two startling things, Jesus walking along the side of the road and 12 people floating in the air. She thinks it's the event described by Christians as, quote, the rapture, and suddenly, and suddenly exits the car via the sunroof and ends up being killed on the roadway. The incident causes a pileup of 20 other cars uh, who were trying to avoid her. Police find that the floating people were actually 12 sex balloons filled with helium that had been in the back of a truck driven to a party by a man who has been told by friends that he looks a lot like Jesus. The truth. The truth. These events never took place. Goodness gracious. Can you imagine getting that and being like, oh yeah, wow. Really? That's amazing. But anyway, you know, it's, I read all of those, um, and I like that website because there is just so much media kind of being communicated to us. A lot of it, which is true, and a lot of it's not true, but it's important to kind of work through some of it and to acknowledge that what we read, the media that we receive, affects how we live. It affects our mood. It affects our temperament. It affects our stress and our anxiety level. And normally in the life court, you know, and so the facts and the things that are true about those things, we we need to understand and process. But the things that are not true, it's great to find out that they're not true so we can kind of be balanced. But, um, you know, on the life course, one of the things that I tell people at the very beginning of the life course, I say, look, don't be like the student who said, I've already made up my mind. Don't let the facts, you know, don't communicate any facts that might, you know, confuse me. But this morning, what I would challenge us to say is, Facts often, unfortunately, can confuse us also. Because, and what I mean by that is that the facts as we see them, the facts as the world communicates them, as things to be fact truthful, can often change the way we think about what God can do. And recently, um, we were at Kristen Kettle's house this week, praying for her. And... um, in the middle of our prayer for her, uh, she has cancer, and, and it's spread all kind of in different places in her body, and uh, she's young, and she has young children, and we uh, pray for her as a church all the time. And uh, one of the things that Teresa DeFato said, she said, you know, Lord, help us to not allow what we see determine the way that we pray. You know, and, and, and just like that one little sentence, help us to not allow the facts of the situation change the potential of what God's truth can come in and change in the situation. 
And we, were, and we began to pray about, well, what are the facts and what, you know, in comparison to God's truth? Well, the facts are her body is riddled with cancer. But the truth is that that cancer, her body wasn't made for that cancer. The cancer doesn't belong there. But it's there, but it doesn't belong there. The truth of the matter, or the fact of the matter, is that left untreated, the cancer will kill, will kill her. But the truth, God's truth, is that he can heal the cancer. We've seen him heal cancer and people in our church. And we believe that God heals. And so there is a, a, a realm of possibility and potential that exists with God that often can be forgotten if we allow the facts in our life to cause us to quit praying appropriately, acting appropriately, living appropriately. You know, the fact is that we are in crisis economically in our country. The facts are that we, when we read the newspaper, see that the unemployment rate is higher, you know, than it's been in the last 16 years. I was reading news last night, like all this economic news and all this stuff about the job market and the housing market and what's happening and what it's going to take to recovery. Reading and reading, it was like depressing. It was really scary, very scary. You know, and as I read those things, I thought, you know, every one of us is being affected some way or another by what's happening. You know, every one of us could talk about stories in our life about Maybe we're getting ready to have to sell our house and move to a smaller place. You know, maybe we're having to look for another job. Maybe we're worried about losing our job. Maybe we've lost our job. You know, maybe we're all of a sudden we're spending our savings on education and we're not sure how we're going to retire. You know, maybe we're wondering about how we're going to pay for the car to get fixed or if we can sell the car and we're going to have to start taking the bus. Or how the bus rates as the, you know, as the economy changes are affected and how what we're currently making isn't going to be enough. But we're thankful for the job we have, but it's just not enough. And a lot of us, a lot of you, I've talked with you, the, the solutions that you have are not adequate. The facts of your life and what is happening in your life, when added together and added up, there is not a solution. You don't know. What the next step is. And the danger is for all of us that we would allow those facts to rob us of the promises of Jesus Christ and his peace and his rest that he promises to offer us in the midst of blessing and bounty, but also in the midst of suffering and depravity. You know, is it possible, is it possible for you to leave this morning if all of those things are happening in your life, if you've walked in this morning with all this stress, all this anxiety, with unanswered questions and solution, with no solutions to your life situation, is it possible to leave this morning with a peace about that, with a restfulness in, in considering the situation you're in? Is it possible? Heck yeah, it better be possible or we're wasting our time. Jesus says it's possible. You know, if, if it's not possible, then we're wasting our time because that's real life. You know, this is real. The situation we are in as a church family and as a family is real. We are struggling. People are struggling. 
Just this week alone, we had several deaths at our church. You know, we had a, a suicide a few months ago. People are struggling. People, I know people who are selling their homes, who don't know where they're going to live. If Jesus isn't real in the real situations of our life, then let's pack up and go and find a God that is. But thankfully, it is. He is. He does bring peace and rest. He can. You can leave today. You can leave today with no anxiety. You can leave today with rest, with peace. That's my goal. That's my goal. In the midst of your junk, that you will leave today with the understanding that, hey, this is a big storm, but I trust Jesus. And that's just not a cliche. That's just not to say that, but that you literally will leave without worrying, that you will have the rest and the peace that he offers. And this is what he offers. He says this in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives you peace. The peace that I give you is greater than the peace of the world. But when I give it to you, just just trust me. In, In giving this peace to you, don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. And he goes on and says in John 16, 33. He's talking to his disciples here. And he says these. He says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I love this phrase. I was thinking and praying about this phrase last night and, you know, kind of on the face of, of how he probably communicated it to the, uh, to the disciples. It's probably like, Jesus is like, Yo, look, guys, here's the deal. I got good news and I got bad news for you. What do you want first? Well, it doesn't matter because my dad, he told me to tell you this first, okay? A little Oreo cookie here. It's going to go good, bad, good. Ready, guys? Here's in me... In me, when you, listen to me, guys, because you're getting ready to screw me. I'm getting ready to be crucified. You, you know, things are getting, the wheels are getting ready to fall off. And you're going to think that I've abandoned you. You're going to think that you're in over your head because you are. But here's the deal. When everything's going bad, if you live in me, if you let my kingdom reign in you, if you live for my kingdom, for me, if you allow me to reign in you, you'll have peace. If your eyes are focused on me, you'll have peace. But here's the bad news. This world that I've left you in, that I'm going to leave you in, it stinks. And it's going to cause you pain. It's going to cause you stress. It's going to cause you anxiety. It's going to cause you turmoil. Especially if you try to find peace in this world. Because the world will bring turmoil. And if you try to find peace in the things of this world, guess what? It's going to not be good for you. It's going to be really bad. And then he, he ends up saying, okay, because I know that you're going to try to find peace in these things of the world, because I know that you're going to suffer, I know that it's going to be hard, here's the good news. I've overcome all that. I've conquered that. If you focus on me, if you are centered on finding peace in me and in my kingdom, I've overcome all the evil of the world. I've overcome the pain, the suffering, the other junk that the world will throw at you. Don't worry No matter how bad your situation is, no matter how bad it gets, my peace can still 
reign in your life. You can still be absent of anxiety and worry to the degree that it is eating your lunch, is causing you stress, is causing you pain. Jesus knew then with the disciples what he, what he sees now with us and our struggle in life. And that's this. The facts of this world can distract us and rob us from the peace that he has to offer to those who seek him and his kingdom. Who seek to find their comfort and their peace in him and not in the world. The facts of your situation will steal that from you. The peace that he has for you. So right off the bat, we know this. We see this in just these two scriptures, and that's this. That this world, it's normal in this world to have pain, to have tribulation, to suffer. That's normal. Struggling in this world is normal. Suffering from this world is normal. Those are the things, that is the natural product of what a broken and sinful and fallen world offers you. Which means this. That you might have to let go of some of the things you think you're entitled to. That are from this world. The lifestyle that you once had. The vacations that you once took. The size of your house. Or that you even own a house. You might have to rent. You know the 90H, the 98 inch HDMI HD TV that you're renting. Might have to go. Along with the cable package that you have. You see... As Jesus looks into our situation, into our life, to the things that are causing us stress and struggle, the problem comes because we say, Jesus, I want your peace. I want your rest. Look at this mess that I'm in. I don't have enough money. I'm going to have to sell my house. And he says, Do you, will, you, will you give me some of those things? Will you let me? Will you be open to the idea that I might be trying to get your attention and take some of those things that are causing you stress? that you think that you're entitled to, that you've enjoyed for a long time, these things that you found peace and comfort in, will you trust me with those things? And then will you allow me to give peace to you in a way that surpasses the things that you think you need to have peace? It's all up for grabs when it comes to trusting Jesus with our life. The reason we have to hold on to these things loosely is because when we try to hold on to them and we try to work out our solutions that include these things, we prevent Jesus from providing a solution that might not. So there's this chance that he is wanting to get them away from us so that we can receive his peace. I was thinking of how to explain this. And because none of these things in and of themselves are bad. I'm not saying that, you know, a 98-inch plasma TV is bad. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that cable's bad. I'm not saying any of those things. But if you are stressed out by the circumstances of your life, by the facts of your life, one of the realities is, as you've collected these things, and why do we collect them? 
Because they bring peace. We think they bring peace. We think that they will bring rest to us. We think that they will bring security to us. Not always, but in a lot of these situations. And so as we collect these things, and we're like, okay, Jesus, I'm ready to trust you. He's like, how can you trust me? You're trusting in all of these other things. And I got all this stress, Jesus. You know, I don't know how I'm going to pay for this. I don't know how I'm going to pay for that. You know, those are facts of my life. You know, I don't know how I'm going to make a mortgage payment. And he's like, well, will you trust me with where I want you to live? That'll free up some money. Will you trust me with the kind of car you drive? That might free up some money. You know, will you trust me with a plan for your kids to be educated? That might free up some money. Will you trust me with the reality that you might not get to go on vacation this year? That'll free up some money. Are you willing to work in a place that you've never worked before, that you're not, maybe you've never thought of working before? Because that might be a solution. But what happens is when we let go of these things and we say, Jesus, I want to trust you, we demonstrate in a way that these things are not where our peace is so that we can hold on to something else. We can hold on to Jesus. You see, a lot of us, we want to hold all these things. And we're like, Jesus, could you squeeze in here? Come on, pop your head up right, right in the middle there. Come on, right in, come on, right there. Could you pop your head up there? Because I'd like to have everything. I'm entitled to everything. That, I mean, that's the American dream. That's the Christian American dream, that we can have everything. Well, God, well, you know, God wants to bless you. Jesus, when he promises peace, the reason we have to hold these things loosely is because he doesn't promise us comfort. Does he? He doesn't. He doesn't promise that we're going to get to do the things that our parents did. Or that we're going to get to live in a lifestyle that our parents had. He doesn't promise us that. He doesn't promise us that we're going to get to drive the nicest cars. He doesn't promise us that we're going to get to have the job we've always wanted. I mean, work is called work because it's what you have to do when you'd rather be doing something else. That's my definition of work. I thought about that when I was cutting the grass one day. I used to like cutting the grass. It didn't feel like work. Now there's other things that I want to do. This is work. I remember being, I was like a 12-year-old kid. I remember that truth. It always has stuck with me. That's why it's called work. And Jesus said it was going to be hard. God said work will be hard. It will, will cause pain. And so Jesus doesn't promise us those things. And so we're like, Jesus, bring your rest. Bring your peace. Stick your head up. Come on. Throw me a bone here, Jesus. I want to trust you more. Please let me trust you more. And he's like, there's no room for me in your life. You don't want to trust me. You want to trust yourself. You like being in control. You like the facts. If you can stay in control of the facts, stay in control of your life, then you don't have to trust Jesus. And that's kind of the bottom line. We can either learn to trust Jesus and give him control of our life and trust that he really is good or trust ourselves. The great thing about Jesus is that regardless of our response towards him, when we're like this, we're like, pop your head up, pop your head up, is that he does. He does. He pops up in our life, sometimes in ways we don't like. And what happens? He forces our arms to let go of things. The more he has a presence in our life. I want to read this story to you. It's Mark 4.35 because it illustrates 
the desire Jesus has for us to trust him. It's a very familiar story in scripture. I probably taught on it more than any other scripture in my young life days. It's Mark four thirty-five to 41. It's a quick story. It says this. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are dying or perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You know, each of us, like the disciples, either have had storms in our life, or having a storm, or in the middle of a storm in our life, or we will have storms in our life. And the question is are you going to wake up Jesus? Are you going to ask him for help? Or are you just going to bail and bail and bail and bail as you take on more and more and the facts of life fill your boat and fill your life and fill you up more and more and more and you fall further and further behind in debt without answers and Jesus is sleeping and then he's just saying, come and wake me up. The facts of the world, the worries of the world, The pain, the death, and the brokenness, and the anxiety, remember, all have been overcome by one person. There's one person who in the midst of that says, I can give you peace there. And not only has he said it, but he is the only one who has demonstrated that he has the power to do it. And what a great story. In the midst of this raging storm, you know, he doesn't, Say anything like very descriptive. It's the words that we long for right now in our life, isn't it? For him to come in this morning, today, and to say, peace. Be still. And just for there to be calm. How many of us would just, we just want the calm in our life. We just want the peace. All we need to do, he wants us to come to him. He is the only one who can bring it. He is the only one who will respond with yes and say those words. Whatever the problem, whatever the facts are, the power of Jesus Christ to come and bring you rest trumps, trumps it all. There is nothing happening in your life that he cannot make be still, that he cannot quiet, that he cannot suppress. Nothing. Nothing. Unfortunately, many of us have reserved Jesus into kind of the bailing mode. Hey, Jesus, wake up. Come help me bail. And so, like, that's how we use Jesus. Come help me in the middle of the situation. And we can't see beyond our situational circumstances. And we think that the best that Jesus can do is, well, maybe he'll help me sell my house. Well, maybe he'll, you know, maybe he'll help me give me some more money. Or maybe he'll help me get a new job. 
And we're like, Jesus, Baal, that's not what he wants to do. He wants to come and do something in your life this morning that says, your boat's going to fill up. Life in this world will be tribulation, will be painful, will be struggle. Do you want me to do something that's greater than that? Do you want to leave this morning with, with the problem still there? All the junk might still be there. But you, you leave with a confidence and a peace and an assurance that Jesus is with you. He is in your boat. He has come for you. You know, Ted Haggard has popped back into the scene after two years. There's this uh, HBO documentary on him. would encourage anyone. I haven't seen it. I've seen clips of it. Very powerful. And he was interviewed, his first interview since the scandal. Ted Haggard was um, probably the most powerful evangelical Christian in our country. He was leading the evangelical right wing. He was uh, consulted by presidents for a season. They say that his voting, the way that he manipulated or talked to or encouraged the evangelical right to vote in the second Bush election is probably what elected George Bush. Very powerful guy. Came out in a scandal that he was using drugs and having uh, sex with male prostitutes. And... um, Devastating, the church that he had raised up to like 20 or 10,000 members, ostracized him, kicked him out, told him that he could not live in his house, he could not live in Colorado, that he needed to leave. They totally turned their backs on him in every way. All his friends left him, and he went onto the street to find jobs. Anyway, in this interview um, yesterday or a few this week, I saw on TV with Oprah, she asked him the question, do you still believe in Jesus? Do you still believe what you believe after what happened to you? And he said, I I believe now more than ever. He says, because I was ready to kill myself. I had shamed my wife. I had shamed my children. I had shamed my church. I had shamed myself. I was broken. I was a nobody. And I had planned in my mind how I was going to kill myself. And Jesus came to me, and he rescued me. It was the first time in my life that I didn't do anything to go after him, but that he came to me, and he rescued me. See, that's the great thing about Jesus being in our boat, is that he's there, whether you like it or not, and he's awake, and he wants to bring peace to your life. He wants to be your rescuer. That's what he does. He rescues us from the chaos of the facts and the situations of our life. We just have to want him to be willing to come. Jesus, will you come? Will you help me? Bring your peace. I hold all of these things loosely. Let's stand. You know, that song that we sang today, uh, one of the songs that Paul's written recently, you know, um, that we sang, you know, you made a way. There was, um, when there was none, I tried to run, but I could not hide from you. Your love broke through my hardened heart. Now I give, now I live to love and sing only for you.
Your healing has restored me. I have hope for brighter days. Rescued by the Savior, I'll never be the same. And when we were singing that, just hearing those words, you know, the reality is Jesus wants to break through into your facts, the facts of your life. He wants to bring peace. He knows and sees your storms, and he is greater than them. He is more powerful. His truth, his power, his life trumps the facts of what you feel like and what you see in front of you. The last thing that the disciples said in that verse, it says, who then is this that even the wind and the waves, even the sea obey him? How you answer that question will determine where your peace comes from. Who is Jesus? Who do you really believe him to be? Just someone we show up to and get buddy-buddy with on Sunday morning or someone that we go to dropping everything and throw our arms around him saying, I need you. I need your peace, Jesus. Because my life is a wreck. I need to be rescued. And either we believe Jesus is who he says he is and wants to bring us peace or we don't. And I'll tell you this morning, he wants to bring you peace through the power of his Holy Spirit. The beginning of that verse that I read earlier, John 14, 27, the verse before that says this. Again, he's talking to his disciples. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Why? Because peace I leave to you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The Holy Spirit, this morning, as we invite him to come during ministry time, he reminds us of the things that we know about Jesus to be true. He shows us that the problems, he speaks to us, is what the scripture says. He speaks to us the things that are true about Jesus. The things that he said to us through his written word and through his spirit. So let's clear out the first four rows of chairs, like we always do. We have about 10 minutes for ministry. And again, ministry today, what I believe God wants to do is to bring you peace, to bring you rest. And so if you're in a situation in life that you don't have solutions for, come and receive prayer. You don't have to. You can stay where you are and receive prayer. I'm going to invite God to come and just pour out his rest and his peace over us.